0: Is fuel for your body, your mind, and definitely your sport. But let's face it, nutrition is confusing, and the expectations on girls and women to be thin and have a six-pack are exhausting. If you've ever been frustrated with your body, confused about nutrition, obsessed with eating healthy, or guilty when you don't, underate, overate, or overtrained, and overwhelmed with all the pressure, then this podcast is for you. Nutrition can be easy, you can take control of it. But it might start with letting go of control by asking for help and making a change. I'm Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez, sports dietitian and owner of Rise Up Nutrition, where I empower female athletes to overcome nutrition concerns and perform at their highest level. To stop being confused by all the mixed or harmful messages, and finally have confidence in your body as a fierce, fit, and fueled female athlete. Welcome to the Female Athlete Nutrition Podcast. I have a guest with me today, Katie Najat. She's the Tokyo Olympic 2020 champion in the women's pole vault. So excited to talk to her, not only about her recent gold medal, but so many other things about sport, nutrition, body image. So a little bit about Katie. She grew up in Olmsted Falls, Ohio, a suburb of Cleveland. She was a division one state champion in 2009 and a division two national champion in 2013 at Ashland University, two time U S champion, and she has the fourth highest jump in the history of the sport of pole vault ever in the history. I just think that's a you know, we have to hit home on that one. Four point nine five meters, which is about sixteen feet two inches, just flying, soaring in the air. Katie, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. So um yeah, we're just thrilled to have a gold medalist on on this show. Not not to negate all of your amazing um performances prior to these past Olympics. You've been definitely the top in your sport for a couple of years now, but we can just reflect back on Tokyo. What was that experience like for you? That was your first ever Olympics, Never mind a gold medal, right? Yeah.
1: So I don't have much to compare it to, but I will say, you know, everybody has been asking, what what was it like with COVID and how different was it? I mean, I don't have anything to compare it to, but it still felt really special. It still felt like you were around the best of the best athletes and I mean we were mar- wearing masks everywhere of course but it still felt like a really cool environment and there was a really good energy so
0: yeah it still felt like the olympics for you know the the hype that we think about having the best athletes on the same stage together and everything
1: yes there was definitely still the nerves and the excitement and all of that so
0: yeah. You know, I actually recently listened to Lindsay Hines, I'll have another podcast that you were on. I think it was released early September. And I listened to that. I'm, I'm a huge fan of her podcast. And she's had me on as a guest too. And I I don't feel like we need to like do a repeat of that because it was a really good episode. So I want to give her a shout out. And but I love how in detail you went on like, you know, with the other Lindsay, you went into detail about just the you know, every jump by jump and the technique that you've kind of worked on with your pole vaulting skills. So I highly recommend listening to that. But you know, as I was listening to it, Katie, I picked up on this little thing that you said, you didn't talk about it. So I'm going to ask you, you mentioned you had food poisoning right before. <laughs> Is that true? Yes, I and I don't know what it was
1: from. I I went to a competition in Monaco. This was you know a couple of weeks before I was leaving for Tokyo, and I did well at the I I won the meet, but I I was definitely flat, and I just thought it was jet lag. But then the next couple of days, I started to just feel kind of head cold, sick. I mean, I kept getting COVID tests. I it wasn't COVID, but I just especially so we we flew back to Paris after the meet spent one day there and I started to really not feel great there and then flew home the next day and I really did not feel well on the flights back but again I thought it was it was more just head cold it wasn't stomach it was just feverish that type of feeling and when I got home I went to bed and then woke up and just, yeah, it was clearly something I ate that my body was just trying to get out, however, and that lasted about three days and ended up putting me in the emergency room because I just wasn't able to keep anything in me. Oh my goodness. They put me on antibiotics, among other things, and I had a bad reaction to the antibiotics where I just got hives all over my body, so it was a rough It was a rough week. And I just felt like in the grand scheme of my year, it was like, of course, what else could go wrong? At this point, we've had COVID, we've had poles break, we've had, you know, what else can happen? So it was frustrating. But you know, it obviously all worked out as it needed to. But it did add a level of stress because I was now lighter body weight wise than I would want to be. I mean, You want to be lean in the pole vault, of course, but you also want to have a certain amount of mass on you coming down the runway. so
0: Yeah. And moving and pushing that pole and, and having it bend, you know, how you want it to and everything, even a a pound could make a difference. And yeah. And I'm just thinking energy levels. I mean, so this was just a couple weeks before the Olympics. Did you, did you let that, I imagine you didn't, but did you let that get in your head at all of like, am I strong enough? Do I have enough stamina? I mean, I was definitely, I was
1: of course nervous because the Olympics is the biggest meet of my life, but I will say I didn't really let it affect me at much while we were there. With pole vault poles, they vary in, in length and in stiffness. So I have softer poles and I was on softer poles. So I'm sure that played a factor, but I I tried not to let it get the best of me. So
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like you said, just what a year in general. And then it's like, oh, of course I'll end up in the hospital with food poisoning before I trying to compete. This point. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well you obviously uh, rebounded, which I think, you know, we'll get into your nutrition soon. But one thing I always say when it comes to like, you know, your your foundation of nutrition, you know, we're all gonna get sick. We're all gonna get injured at some point. But you know, pending how strong your foundation is can really dictate your resiliency and how quickly you bounce back from something. So I would, you know, imagine we haven't gotten into it yet, but I would imagine you had a good, solid nutritional base so that when you did get sick, it didn't wipe you out completely and you're able to bounce back pretty fast. Yeah.
1: I'd like to think so anyways.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And well, let's, um, let's chat a bit more about pole vaulting, you know, I dabbled in the pole vault a little bit myself in college. No, nowhere near, near your heights. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. But, um, you know, it is just such a unique sport. And especially considering at a young age, like at the high school level, not many athletes have exposure to it. Some high schools have it. Some club track teams do, but some don't. Even my high school did it. But like, it was pretty sketchy. (laughs) Nobody knew what they were doing. So I'm curious to know your background and how you got into it in the first place.
1: Yeah, I just, I saw the high schoolers doing it when I was in seventh grade. It was the first day they took the middle schoolers out to the track for track practice. And I was a gymnast when I was younger. So I loved anything with upper body strength and adrenaline and flying through the air. Yes. Daredevilish activity. So I knew I needed to try it. And I begged my coaches for days and they finally let me go over because again, I think, you know, it was not something they were super familiar with. So then having an athlete try it is just an added thing that they have to worry about. So, but I just, they, I wouldn't let it go and they did let me go over. And so I just, I loved it. From day one,
0: yeah. Did you pick it up quickly coming from gymnastics? Were you pretty good at it right away?
1: Yeah, I would say so. I I had a very like natural steady progression where I wasn't just like a phenom out of n- nowhere, but I I did well at every level and. Yeah, but I will say I had to kind of work to be the best at each level for a couple years before, you know, winning the state meet and then winning nationals. It was like that was senior year and then senior year again. And then five years out of college is when I made the U.S. national team um, for the first time and won, or I'm sorry, made the the world team for U, the U.S. and won National, So I, I definitely picked it up quickly and I was good. And I think coaches saw potential, but I, I definitely had to kind of work my way up at each level to be the best, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what was your the decision-making process behind going to Ashland University um, with it being a Division II school. I always like to highlight this that like D1 isn't everything and you can find success at D2 and D3 schools. What was kind of your decision-making process in that? Was athletics a focus?
1: So I actually went to the University of Dayton for two years first and really struggled there. That is a D1 school because I was also very caught up in the D1 and I Got a good feeling about it, so I went there, but I actually really struggled there and had a pretty bad mental block. And so my junior year, I ended up transferring to Ashland, and that's where I had huge success, and especially in an individual sport especially in track and field and pole vaulting, you can have success at any level because it's just you and the runway and the bar and it's just you versus the bar every jump. And that's the same at any level. So yeah, I'd like to think that I helped show that you can be successful at any division um, that you go to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now you mentioned that while while at the University of Dayton, you had a big mental block. You mean like with your jumps specifically? Yeah. Yes. yeah. Oh gosh, that can just fr- completely freeze you as a pole vaulter.
1: Yes, because there is a, you know, what we do, there is a fear element to it and you can either let it, you know, make you crumble or you can thrive with it. But for me, I just... There was a lot of change all at once that I just wasn't ready for. New coach, new everything, Uh, being away from home for the first time. All of it just got the better of me. And I just, I lost any confidence in my ability. And I just, my entire career, I just didn't really know what I was doing. I just ran down and threw my hands up and hoped for the best. I just went purely off of adrenaline. And so I didn't know where to focus to get me off the ground, because I was just running through all the time. There was just, I wasn't even jumping off the ground, bending the pole. It was just run into the pit. You don't even give yourself a chance. So, but when you're afraid of it, and that overcomes you, you just, there's no getting over it. It's, it's very hard to, to get out of that. So that's a big reason why I transferred is because I needed a new environment and a new situation to get out of this bad mental block.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, this is kind of a joke that I'm comparing, but I'm just reflecting on my own experiences with the pole vault. It's a joke because I was like a nine, ten, ten foot jumper. <laughs> so, yeah, it, I did like 10, eight or something like that. Ten, ten yeah. Not bad. So, not bad. <laughs> but but what I'm reflecting on is is that that fear concept, though. You really it you can't you can't get in the air with fear, and and not you're at 16 feet in the air 15 16 feet in the air you you have to give it 100 percent so if there's even just one percent doubt in your mind you you can't get off the ground because that it is very very dangerous and so what are some ways that you've you know overcome that throughout the years and how do you address this how do you give every single jump 100%. And it sounds silly because as a high-level athlete, you would think no matter what your sport, you're giving everything 100%. But like, no offense, basketball players, but if you did give 98% on a shot, like you, you'll you miss and that's not good, but you're not going to hurt yourself.
1: Right, right. Well, it started with just, I think, a new environment and kind of a new source of motivation. And we went back to really short approach, really small polls, and just slowly but surely built that confidence in D2. There's not as much pressure. I guess, uh, of like, okay, now do it now. Okay, now we back up. Now we get, raise our grip. Now we, you know, and I needed a very slow but steady pace to allow me to get comfortable repping things out 10 more times than maybe we would at D1 because I just, I remember at Dayton, you know, I'd do something, I'd, I'd finally like kind of find it and we'd do two jumps and he'd be like, okay, move up a grip or, or move back. And it was like, I, and then I would just, I would, you know, go back into that, like, afraid state, even though it was irrational, it just, you know, it I it was, but it was very real. And so at, at Ashland, that coach allowed me to just rep it out over and over and over again, as needed to really just build confidence to where I wanted to jump high more than I was afraid of it. So for a while, it was just using adrenaline to combat it and overcome it. And it wasn't the perfect fix, but it worked at the time and then when i got to start working with brad walker my now coach he's the one that really changed the mental side and he just taught me how to think on the runway and how to focus on the runway and so as i'm coming down i have specific cues that i'm trying to execute so i like as i'm coming down i'm just thinking okay punch the hand on one. And so by fo- by channeling it into a specific action that I'm trying to do, it keeps the fear out of it and the abstract of okay, take it off the ground because that's a very abstract that's not a specific action of okay, you know, really drive your the takeoff like get the takeoff step down as quickly as you can. By thinking about it as a specific action, it makes it a lot easier to overcome the emotional things.
0: Yeah, and I mean I think you can apply that concept to a lot of things in life too, is like one step at a time. What is your next action step? Instead of thinking about the whole the whole big picture that can seem so scary and overwhelming, what is the next thing to take action on and focus on? And really breaking it down piece by piece. And you also dropped a really good little quote in there. I don't even know if you've realized it, but <laughs> you said when you ha- you finally want it more than you fear it, then no, that's yeah. when you take it to the next step, right? Yeah, that, that was that's a, a great thing. And, and allowing yourself to build up your confidence until you want it more than you fear it, which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's great. And then, you know, so at totally fast forwarding again, now, you know, at Tokyo, it, your opening jumps didn't necessarily go as as hoped for. No. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> misses and I don't normally miss at the opening height just because Brad and I have gotten it so dialed in to like we've eliminated a lot of variables, and my warm up jumps tell me exactly what pull I need to be on. And I just, during my warm ups, my takeoff leg, my quad was just so tight, it wouldn't loosen up. And so I spent a lot of trips down the runway just trying to loosen it up. So I really didn't get any good warm up jumps in. So I think that was kind of a continuation of the warm up because it did end up loosening up. But you know, I think I was hesitant in those first couple jumps, really jumping off of it aggressively. So I do think that played a factor. And of course, it was very stressful. But I imagine. once I, I mean, you'll, you'll see me if, if you watch the meet, you see me kind of talk to myself on the runway. But all I'm saying is my cues. All I'm saying is, okay, jump on one jump like you've never freaking jumped before. <laughs> like, you know, pull tip up, relax, Jump on one, like I'm just repeating my cues over and over so that when I start moving, there's not really a conscious thought process, but it's so fresh in my mind that it's like I'm telling my body to do what I want it to do
0: mm-hmm. I love that too, just the the power of repetition of your you know kind of mantras in your head because just like you said, it's then when you're actually doing it it's it's kind of it's like in your subconscious, you know yeah, your body just follows once you've convinced your mind of what you need to do. So, so you, d- you did that it was kind of a continuation of of your warm up in some sense, repeated all your cues to yourself. And on that third jump at opening height, cleared it, which of course, then you continued to progress for the rest, rest of the meet.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't perfect right away. I I definitely had to make a couple
1: adjustments. And part of it might have also, I was coming down on the bar, which again, I don't normally do. And maybe a part of that was from the food poisoning and that I was lighter. Um, I was on softer pulls than normal, like quite a bit. Um, But I do, yeah, there was, there was whatever it was, there was something that was, you know, my pulls weren't rolling like normal. And so, you know, after my miss at the next height, 470, I just, said, okay, we need to move my starting point closer on the runway, which is not something we would train to do. It's not, you know, what is textbook, so to say. But I just realized that in that moment, I almost needed to run into the pole to make it move. I mean, your hands are at a fixed point. So if you're too close, it can throw off your posture and the energy flow. Ideally, you want to be standing straight up and down with your arms straight over your head. If you're just like standing still, that would be what it looked like. And then as you jump through, it's it allow it gives you space to jump through aggressively. If you're too close, you can't jump as aggressively. But I just realized I needed I needed to run into the pole to make it move that day. So that's the adjustment that I made.
0: And then after that it seemed to go pretty smoothly. Yeah. Yeah. So you've mentioned a few times, you know, when we were talking about the unfortunate food poisoning, maybe making you a bit lighter and just this, you know, relationship between your weight and the pole you're using and how you make it move effectively. Is this something that you try to manage or is it something that you more adjust, you know, with being flexible with just, as you said, switching poles or adjusting your steps? Like, you know, how do you as in a sport that weight plays a, a role you're defying gravity in so many ways you know ha- how do you approach your own body weight
1: yeah i i just try to be conscious of how i'm eating i my coach has a, more of an idea of what he would like me to be at but it's not like you have to be at this weight it's just you're looking a little lean let's maybe like you know give you a little bit more like maybe up your Calories, your fat intake, whatever. And it's not anything I micromanage. I used to. I used to be way too strict with my diet because I looked at all these phenomenal athletes and thought they were, you know, probably borderline starving themselves to look that way, which is a very flawed logic. But I just, I always said I didn't want my diet to be the reason I didn't succeed. So I just took it to the extreme so now it's just I with all the work that we put in I don't limit myself and I just I eat just good quality meals several times a day and I space them out you know probably two to three hours I will eat an hour and a half before workout but I just want to make sure that I'm getting a good amount of food and so no it's I don't eat to be a certain weight it's more of just eating to fuel myself so that I have energy through the workouts. And I mean, with, again, the, the work that we put in, I, I don't obsess about how I look as much anymore because I think that the body leaning out is a, is a, a byproduct of the work that I'm putting in, but also by eating. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's a fine line in pole vault because obviously the the weights, there's a weight ranking on each of the poles, but usually those are a lot bigger than what we are. So I weigh, I don't know, anywhere like around one, anywhere from 135 to 140, just depending on the time of year. Um, and my poles can get up to 170, 180. So yeah, it's... It's definitely tricky. And I know a lot of people do deal with some some of the body image issues because of that in our sport for a lot of reasons. But I feel like I've gotten to a point where I've gotten a really good relationship with food and I don't micromanage micromanage it. I just I eat when I'm hungry. I eat until I'm full and just because I know my body
0: needs it. And yeah. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful to hear. And I think great advice, especially for any younger listeners. And I, I really appreciate that you said, you know, when you're, when you're feeling right to keep up the energy to train hard, then your body becomes really a byproduct of that. Yes. And, and that, that really is what happened yeah. before
1: where I just, I wanted,
0: I thought if I could eat to
1: look a certain way that the results would come and it's a very like flawed logic Right.
0: It's literally flipped. <laughs> yes. be yeah. So I, I want to backtrack to just for people who might not be super familiar with pole vault. When you say like, you know, you, you weigh, you know, 140 and your pole does 170. So what that means just for clarification is that your pole could handle up to 170 pounds, like of, of carrying that load sort of, right. So, So if you're using a larger pole, you've got to have quite a bit of strength to move that then. Yes.
1: Yeah. And typically, most vaulters are on poles that are anywhere from like at this level are anywhere from 20 to, yeah, sometimes 40 pounds over their weight, just depending. And so, yeah, the stronger you are, the more energy you can put into the pole and the stiffer poles that you can get on.
0: Mm-hmm. and now when you say that at that level you're usually on larger poles is that just because of the like the height of them and just the I'm just trying to understand because I'm thinking again this is my high schooler pole vault mind that was like yeah, oh no. like if we I went on a smaller want- pole we could bend it more
1: <laughs> no yeah I just don't want a high schooler to hear this and think they have to be on like 30 pounds over their weight kind of thing um but I just you 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 work your way up, so the pole will tell you what you need. And so, yes, you can bend it more if it's softer, but you're going to land in the back of the pit. You're not going to be able to clear anything on it. And so, that's kind of your gauge of okay. Now, go up a little bit stiffer. So, you because your hips have to be peaking in this small window to clear a bar. It's basically at the elite level. You can put the standards anywhere, but it's any. I mean, it's you know a fifty centimeter you know, window where your hips can peak. So if you're on a softer pull, that's fine, but you're probably not going to clear anything. So that's, that's how you kind of know when to go up is how the way that you hit the bar and um, just how the pull bends and everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, you know, engaging in this conversation. I honestly, most of the time on this podcast, like avoid talking weight and numbers completely because there's so many issues surrounding it. But I also really appreciate that, that we can talk about this in this sport where it's like, you're using a pole that has a weight, you know, classification on it. It's, it's part of the sport. So it's something that needs to be addressed. And when I was in high school, we
1: had to tell them what we weighed and we couldn't use a poll that was lower than that weight ranking. Now they weigh them. And I think that is the most messed up logic and decision that you could ever, ever do. I I hope, I hope whoever needs to hear this that made that decision realizes how messed up that is because I was, I weighed like 135, 140 in high school. And I, but my, practice pull was a 130 pull it was just I wasn't going to break it I just wanted something soft to just get me in and at the time you're not it's it's it can be just as dangerous if not more dangerous to make somebody get on a pull that's too stiff for them and it just it's and then now you're making girls get on a scale in front of people like that is terrible weighting issues and body image issues and I I think it's horrible. I really yeah, I could go on all day about that. I think it's terrible.
0: But I, I could as well because like I mentioned it's I attempted pole vault in high school and also had that experience of being weighed. And it's actually part of my story, Katie, and and how nutrition and and this passion came to be for me. Um, My senior year, I had a surgery and was you know out. I was on the couch for a month and uh, my body was recovering. My body composition changed a little bit, but then I was eager because it was my senior year. I was eager to get back into competition as quickly as possible, but I had gained some weight and I felt this pressure to get on back to a lower weight to, because of weigh-ins, because I had two meets left of my season and we had weigh-ins for pole vault. So it's, it was, and it was toxic. It was not good. I won't share the terrible habits I engaged in at that time. Um, I've done similar. So (laughs) yeah, yeah. So yeah, I hope anybody listening, making high school rules, uh, (laughs) there's other ways that you can protect the safety of high school pole vaulters without making a female athlete get on the scale. Right. And it's not the box
1: collar, which is this new thing. I won't even get into that, but... (laughs) It's this, new, it's this new pad that goes over the box that supposedly like protects them if they fall in, but it makes the box smaller. So it's just, and it affects
0: your... Yeah. So that's yeah. not helpful either. <laughs> I mean, lots of changes need to be made. Lots of, lots
1: of changes we get into now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as we're talking more about your nutrition and, and this approach that you have now, which is wonderful, and you've kind of reflected, maybe it, maybe it wasn't always this way. So at what point in your life, you know, did nutrition come on your radar as being something... You important to your athletics?
1: Yeah, I will say I really started. So when I was younger, I could just eat anything and everything and stay small. And I realized I got attention from that and just would go crazy with it. And I would say my body started to change. My metabolism started to slow down. My sophomore, junior year of college, really, I would say college, but I was still being like active obviously with sports but I really noticed a difference I would say my junior year because I was still I created like this major appetite where I would just I wasn't satisfied unless I was bursting at the seams every meal because that was what was habit for me and so then I would say my senior year is when it really I that was the first time I went to my coach and I just realized anything that doesn't help me hurts me in the sport and he gave me just a very generalized like nutrition plan. He wasn't necessarily qualified, but it was just good stuff where it's like, you know, eat, you know, I don't know, eggs or yogurt or fruit, always eat breakfast and then just, you know, just get protein and carbs each meal. Like it was very basic and it worked. It helped. And I did lean out and I, I wasn't until I went on like the pro circuit that I just saw all these women in sports bras looking fabulous. And I was always self-conscious about my abs because the way my body puts on weight is my midsection is the first place that gets wide. Um, I, I think I put on weight more like, more like a guy does. I don't, I don't get anything in my hips or in my butt or my legs. It's all in my midsection. And, and so, and my torso is really short. So any, like, it's just, if I'm not like at, my leanest, most peak competition season, I I'm self-conscious about that because sports bras and spandex shorts cut you off very short. And I'm already short there to begin with. So, and I just, you always want what you don't have. So I saw these women with these long lean torsos and that's what social media is telling us is beautiful. And I, that's, I didn't have that. So you always, I mean, grass is always greener, but so I just started to Go way too strict. I met with a nutritionist um, in Knoxville, Tennessee. Ironically enough, my sister is now a dietitian. So, oh, wonderful. A resource. But I met with a dietitian at the time. She's younger than me. So, she was not, she was still in school. Um, and he gave me a good nutrition plan. You know, it was eat like five to six meals a day every two to three hours. These are like good proteins. These are good carbs. These are, healthy fats, these are fruits and veggies, and then just make sure you're, you know, like it was just kind of a a guide. And I just took that to the extreme because I, I, yeah, I, I remember I saw myself in a sports bra. I got sick in the winter of 2014. I got the flu that at that time was like killing people. Like it was a really aggressive, of the flu, and so I got really, really sick. It put me out, so I lost some muscle mass, and I came back. But I was determined to compete in a sports bra. I didn't the season before because I was a little self-conscious about it. But I was determined; I was going to fit in with everybody and wear like a crop top or a sports bra when I competed. And I got pictures back after one of the competitions, and I was just mortified at how I looked. And I didn't look bad, but I definitely looked softer because I, I, you know, was sick for weeks. And, and I, and so that's where it just, I went crazy with it and, you know, was obsessed with food and how I would limit my calories. And I would eat basically like a quest bar, protein bar and an apple, like four out of six meals a day. Oh no. And part of it too, is that I was living, I had a roommate situation that wasn't great for me and I didn't feel super welcome there so I would avoid coming out of my room and I had protein bars in my room so I just I wouldn't even want to come out to cook so I would just I would just eat the protein bars and so so just very undernourished. and I could feel that I would you know get you know just a couple jumps and then be just totally gassed so I would come in kind of high at a competition and then immediately pass to a personal best, and that was just that was the reality for you know year, I would say. And then I don't know what changed for me. There was not this big drastic moment that came over me. It's just I slowly but surely started to just be a little more lenient and just not care as much. I I did move back home. Um I, I had been in Knoxville, Tennessee. And so I moved back home. And then I think just being more comfortable there, I just started to relax a little bit more with it. And Yeah. So it's, it's definitely been a journey with it. And now, like I said, I, I, I still use that general guide that he gave me, but I've definitely found a really like healthy way to do it. And I, I use my sister as, you know, somebody at advice. She works mostly, uh, she works with cystic fibrosis. Oh, wow. So she's, she doesn't work with athletes, but she obviously has great general knowledge and then I worked this year with the USATF dietitian and she just backed up what I was saying and what my my meal plan but also then we got testing done on me and realized that my iron was extremely low so incorporated iron into my diet and I think that's made a huge difference this year
0: so. Hey guys, I'm going to interrupt you for just a moment because I want to let you know about an amazing discount for an awesome company that I partner with inside tracker. In fact, in this episode, we talk about blood biomarkers, which is part of what inside tracker does and why I want to tell you about them. They help you optimize your body using science and technology to deliver ultra personalized guidance. They use cutting-edge algorithmic engines to analyze your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and workout habits, and it's all available to you right now. You can hop online and order your plan and use the code RISEUPNUTRITION, one word, all capital letters for a whopping 25% off. Seriously, that is a good savings, 25% off. And I hope you know that I don't advertise for too many products on this podcast because I really value personalized and individualized nutrition and care. But that's exactly why I really value Inside Tracker. It helps put health into your own hands and you do get individualized results. It's based on your blood work. I use Inside Tracker myself. I use it on many of my clients. And if you use the code rise up nutrition for your inside tracker order, regardless of being a personal client or not, then I'm always happy to consult with you via email if you need more nutrition support. So head to InsideTracker.com to learn more, use the code rise up nutrition, more details in the show notes, get that 25% off amazing discount. And let's get back to the episode and this awesome conversation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it's so what you're saying is going to become one of my next Instagram quotes. Protein Probably. bars do not equal a meal. No, <laughs> no, they do not. They no. They, the protein bar is not a meal
1: Once as like a, uh, like a protein bar and an apple is like, that's like, you know, meal number four out of six, like, but not four of them out of six. Like,
0: yeah. But I also really respect to that environment plays a huge role in this. And I think you know, I've definitely seen this as a dietitian over the last basically 2 years now with definitely the onset of COVID for sure, but just the continuation of of life stressors or people moving back home or being around family more, just being maybe in an environment that isn't the best for them mentally, emotionally, and that that plays a role in your nutrition as well. So, you know, it sounds like there were kind of a couple things going on in your life at that time, the body image concern, the pressure of, oh, I'm at this elite level now, you know, maybe I need to look a certain way combined with an environment that made you isolated with food, eating in isolation is is never really a healthy habit. So that all those things kind of combined. Yes, that, you know, definitely became a problem. And
1: it's it's nice, because now I work with a coach that's very much like the opposite. And my coach in Knoxville was great. He wasn't fueling any of this. Like he was trying to, he could tell I was stressed about it. And if anything was trying to like, not add to the, the stress. He's like, you look great. Like, what do you you, You're fine. Like, but my coach now is big on like gaining muscle and gaining mass. And if anything, eating more, like making sure that I am eating a lot rather than not enough. And it's it's very refreshing to be around somebody that's just like, who cares what you look like? You're I mean and I know that's easier said than done, especially for a guy, but it's just a very refreshing mentality to be around of like, no, it's okay to gain weight as long as it's the right way. And with the work that we're doing, it is the right way. Like, but it's it's refreshing for him to want me to gain weight. And then, you know, I I remember during preseason last year, he's like, Okay, you're looking a little lean. So maybe like go visit your boyfriend and just like, just, I will never say this again, but eat whatever you want this weekend to just like give yourself some something and then come back. But, you know, it just, it's, it just having a coach that supports that. Yeah. Supports eating and eating a lot and, but good quality, like it, as he, as long as it's good quality food and not like chips and like, you know process stuff like it's you it's fine so it is nice having that person to make it okay
0: (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely and Yeah, I think your environment and this this is, you know, one of my goals of this podcast is to, you know, spread this message and change the conversation, change the way that we talk about food to just make it a more positive experience. Because having a coach who's talking about it more positively and saying, you know, it's okay to gain weight or like go enjoy your weekend, eat what you want, you know, while still respecting the sport and did you fuel before practice make sure you get good quality nutrients to recover you know it's you know those are the messages we need to be spreading more often so it's wonderful that you've you've you know you're there now and yeah I've heard and seen coaches
1: that have made their athletes you know weigh in and want them to be lighter and leaner and and then they I've I've seen a situation where every single one of those athletes was injured when they needed to like at later in the season they were all super lean early in the year and then later in the year they were they were injured and it's just you you if, I mean being too lean can be detrimental to your career
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it absolutely can and I'm, I'm curious to know more about how you've you know, you mentioned the scenario or the the experience at one time of feeling like, OK, I want to compete in my sports bra because this is what everyone else is doing. But then still struggling with the aftermath of that, of not not liking how you looked in those pictures. And, you know, a, a lot of sports, female sports, even male sports are re- revealing with the uniforms. Pole vaults, certainly one of them. You know, we've got little I don't even know what you call them, but, you know. Underwear uniforms on. <laughs> yeah, like buns and crop top. And I think it's really like Holly
1: Bradshaw's a pole vaulter that just she competes in a in a onesie. She just did a. She just wrote a really nice thing about it. Like she was getting these. You know, if she's from Great Britain, and so the media there can be a little tough. They can be extremely supportive, but they can also be tough. And I think she. T- typed her name in and Holly Bleasdale fat popped up next to it and wasn't like, it's just ridiculous. But like, you know, of course you're young and you see that and that's just gonna just ruin your self-confidence. And so that's, she competes in the onesie now and always has because she's like, I'm not going to let my body like, and worry about what I look like affect me while I'm doing my job and what I'm trying to do.
0: Well, and I, you know, that's tough because as much as I want to say, you know, no, wear, wear whatever, show, show your abs, you know, do it. Who cares what the critics say? It's also important for somebody to focus on what's really important. And so Mm -hmm. if that means I'll wear a onesie so that I can focus on my sport and not be distracted, then do what you got to do, you know? Exactly.
1: It's like, Holly, you can wear whatever you want, but And and like, if this is what makes you feel good and powerful and get the job done, power to you. Like, yeah, it's just people can be mean, and we're yeah, in a sport where a lot of eyes are on us, you get pictures taken you from every angle, like. (laughs) And so it just yeah, I still I'm I have an infinitely better relationship with food and my body image than I ever did, and and granted, I do think it's you know it's easy to say that being in the best shape of my life, but also that came from working hard and wanting to jump as high as possible, not because I was trying to look that way.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I think I I don't know if you feel this way, but allowing your body to morph and change, like you said, maybe right now you're in the best shape of your life. But, you know, there were time periods where where you weren't and allowing your body to morph and change and kind of having all these different like almost like a Rolodex of like, okay, I was still me at this time. I was still me at this time and I'm still me now. So that if your body morphs and changes again and, and looks, you know, like I don't, you know, how it did, however many years ago, you'll know how to overcome that and handle that and how to love yourself better, you know, so that, you know, that's one way that I kind of view improving your body image during all these different phases is, is allowing yourself to just be in the moment with, okay, this is my body where it's at right now. And it might change again in the future. And I don't need to force it into change, but just being accepting And then, you know, it's easier as you age. This is why I think some younger girls struggle more. But, you know, if you if you keep yourself in this box of I can only look one certain way and you never change, then you don't have that like history of different versions of yourself to rely on, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think you have to find
1: like what's important to you. And for me, jumping as high as possible is what's important to me. So at the end of the day, like it doesn't matter what I look like as long as I'm doing what I need to do. And so right now I'm actually like my, my coach kind of encourages like getting a little bit softer in the off season, because when we come back, the workload's pretty tough and you want a little bit of cushion on you, so to say, like he, you know, and so it's, even now it's tough like watching my body go through the changes and it's not you know super drastic but it is like when you see yourself in the best shape of your life it can be difficult to then see your body change but you just I just have to say I don't I don't care (laughs) anymore Mm
0: -hmm. you know what what you care about is jumping your best and
1: Mm -hmm. I know how to be healthy and healthy is going to look different on everybody I mean you look at every athlete that was in the Olympics and you line us all back to back and there are just drastically different body types. And that's like, they're all healthy. And so it's just at at the end of the day, as long as you're healthy, it's like, that's, that's all that matters.
0: Yep. Yep. And, and again, I think your, your coach shout out to him, uh, (laughs) helping you with that. Hey, it's the off season. It's, this is okay. This is expected because if you as an athlete are really taking to his advice, which you are, of course, And, and following through with that training plan, your goal is to jump your highest. So listening to your coach on, on that is super important too.
1: Yeah. And it's not like, you know, go out and like eat whatever crap you want. It's more of just like, don't stress about it. Like go out and eat, like if you're eating a big plate of like pasta, like that's fine. Like it's more of like, he doesn't want me eating. Like I do, I put m ms in peanut butter. I like, I love that as like just a little like dessert snack and he's like, maybe don't do a ton of that or maybe don't do a ton <laughs> of cheesy tots or like things like that. But if it's like good quality food and like then, yeah, like you just don't don't stress yourself out and, you know, eliminate things like I can't think of the word that I want to use. Yeah, but Eliminate, just, restrict, yeah, restrict yourself. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Awesome. With that being said, did you have any sort of celebratory meal after winning gold? Well, so
1: I went back to the village
0: and, you know, it's, it's,
1: they had a ton of options, but obviously it's, first of all, it's one in the morning and second of all, it was, you know, just, it wasn't anything like you couldn't go out to dinner and really celebrate. So I think I I had on my plate at one point, pizza, sushi, and breakfast food. Like all. (laughs) I just, everything looked good. I wanted to grab all of it. And yeah, that was, but I was like by myself just in the cafeteria, just, Eating my meal at one in the morning after winning, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> just, so just
1: your body. Yeah, for me, I I love Asian food, and so sushi. I love I Thai food, Indian food, hibachi. I mean, you name it, I love it. So that's typically when I eat. That like, and when I crave things, that's what I crave. If I order out, that's what I get, and I like it because, for the most part, it's really like not terrible for you i like i never feel like it's like you know bad like and again nothing's
0: really like that bad you can have anything in moderation um, yeah but it makes you feel good when you eat that style food the the rice and the fish and that makes you feel uh, good yeah. i'll
1: get the grilled chicken or shrimp or you know whatever and so it just yeah
0: yeah Well, that kind of leads us to um, as we close out this podcast, I usually have a few quick questions that I ask every guest. And I wonder if I wonder if what you're saying will answer our very first question. So, Katie, if you could eat one food every single day for the rest of your life, but never get sick of it, what would that be? Probably sushi. Yeah. Probably
1: sushi. (laughs)
0: sushi. Awesome. And did you really get to experience it when you were in Tokyo or no, because of COVID restrictions? No, not really. They did have sushi in the village, but it was
1: more just like cooked tuna, cooked shrimp, vegetables. They kept it really basic. Just I don't want anyone to get food poisoning. So yeah. And you didn't
0: want to go through that again either. Oh my gosh. I would never have recovered. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you'll have to make another trip back to Japan at some point to get your favorite food and, and try that sushi. Yeah. Yes. yeah. definitely. Awesome. Well, next question, it, it sometimes seems obvious, but it's, it's also never is. What is your favorite sport to participate in? It's funny because
1: <laughs> I did not go to pole vault right away. Um, I yeah. loved it. I loved golf. To play golf. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, pole ball I, I love it, but I think now because it's like more of my job I like when I get away from it it's it's definitely golf golf a bit more of a relaxing game uh sometimes sometimes okay I would say until you're about two strokes in and then you're like why did I choose to to do this for the next two hours
0: (laughs) too funny (laughs) how about as a spectator Katie what's your favorite sport to to watch uh
1: football I love football. Yeah, I love the Browns. I love Ohio State. Uh, big big Cleveland ath- um, sports fan in general. Yeah, yeah
0: that's, that's where you're
1: from, so it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Football's awesome. my favorite.
0: Awesome Katie and um Last question, if there is another female athlete out there that you want to give a shout out to and just lift her up for being really inspirational um, in any regard, whether this is somebody in your personal life or somebody more well-known, who would that be and why?
1: Um, That's a great question. I, I feel like the first person that came to mind was um, Sydney McLaughlin because just the she posted something recently just being really vulnerable and i'm i'm also christian and so just the way she's carried herself and handled herself and and just that post where she was super vulnerable about what she's been going through and you know people have been just expecting a lot from her but also trying to tear her down and it was just it was a very she's just handled herself very very classy and i would say between her and Allison and Felix like it's just they're they're very inspiring and I appreciate just the way that they carry themselves and just, yeah, the the honesty that she put out there was, was really refreshing.
0: Yeah. Well, between Sydney McLaughlin, Allison Felix, and yourself, Katie, Najat, you know, definitely female athletes to look up to in, in all regards um, and all, all Olympians as well. And medalists. Uh, yeah. <laughs> amazing well Katie thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing so much about just your journey your story and and nutrition and body image we really appreciate it and can't thank you enough no thank you for having me this was great I really hope you enjoyed that episode and thanks for listening. But before I let you go, I have free resources that you can have access to right away, right now, so that you can start fueling your body as a fierce fit and fueled female athlete. First, I have your Red S recovery race. If you've ever wondered if you might be struggling with Red S, curious to learn more, or know you have Red S and are looking to recover fast then you can head to www.riseupnutritionrun.com slash Red S and download the Red S Recovery Race. See how you place and figure out the next steps to recovery. Plus, while there, I have a few other great resources for you, including three nutrition secrets that every elite athlete swears by, and access to our private Facebook community, Female Athlete Nutrition. So again, to gain access to all of this, head to riseupnutritionrun.com reds. That's backslash R-E-D-S. And you can gain access and get the help you need fast. Too many girls and women and female athletes struggle with nutrition, but you don't have to any longer. Become Fierce Fit and Fueled links in the show notes, and I'll see you next time.